Have you ever watched an apocalyptic sci-fi movie and wondered, could any of this really happen? I'm Carrie Bechet, and on Hypothetical, we explore what-if questions two ways, through speculative science fiction and through insight from the world's most brilliant scientists. And spoiler alert, your favorite sci-fi movies aren't nearly as far-fetched as you may think. Time travel with me into our possible futures on Hypothetical. New episodes every Tuesday available on all podcast apps. That's Hypothetical, H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. Transmission Obscura Some things are more elusive than others, Reggie Pastor thought as he roused himself from bed and wiped the sleep from his eyes. He had no idea where the thought had come from, like the remnants of a dream forgotten upon waking. There was an odd dimension to the thought, though. It seemed almost like something that had been broadcast into his head, as if it had come from somewhere else. Some things are more elusive than others. But as he went about his morning routine, listening to the droning thrum of the coffee grinder, thumbing through yesterday's mail, the strange expression faded and then was forgotten entirely. By the time he walked out his back door to scatter some feed for the chickens, the curious thought he'd had upon waking was of no significance whatsoever. Or it would have been if something hadn't been there to remind him. Something that, for some intangible reason, made the thought immediately return to his head. Some things are more elusive than others, he thought, as he stared, slack-jawed, at the twelve-foot-tall radio antenna that had somehow been erected in his backyard overnight. Reggie gazed at the structure for a moment, its metallic framework glistening in the morning sun, while he wondered where it had come from, and how it had gotten there. He was so entranced, in fact, that it took him nearly a minute to realize he had dropped the feed bucket on the ground, which the chickens were now storming voraciously, pecking at each other for the lion's share of spilled seed. After he scooped the mound of feed back into the bucket and returned it to the shed, he cautiously approached the impossible structure. With a tentative, trembling hand, he reached out and touched it. If nothing else, he wanted to at least know that what he was seeing was really there. The sturdy metal framework was cold to the touch, and while it appeared shiny and new from a distance, up close he could see that it was somewhat weathered, as if it had stood there, exposed to the elements, for years, but he had simply failed to notice it. Impossible, he thought. This is impossible. As his eyes fell to the base of the tower, he could see, to his own amazement, that the ground in which it had been placed was undisturbed. It showed no sign of digging or shoring, both things that would have been necessary to install a structure of that size. Just how and when the massive antenna had been installed were questions that troubled Reggie, downright disturbed him, in fact. But the real question on his mind was why? What purpose did it serve? And again, he was reminded of the strange, alien-like message that had floated through his consciousness upon waking. Some things are more elusive than others. After breakfast and a much-needed cup of coffee, 
Reggie made the short walk over to his closest neighbor's property. The Waterston homestead was on the far end of Reggie's three-acre lot, but Reggie was hoping they were close enough to have seen something in the night, some clue as to how the antenna had gotten there. When he answered the door, Ben Waterston's towering stature blocked out the entirety of the doorway. Reggie had always been strangely intimidated by the old man, his quiet, stoic demeanor never giving much away. This might sound crazy, Reggie began, a slight stutter in his words. But I was wondering if you've ever noticed that radio antenna on my property? I can't remember it ever being there. Reggie pointed a stubby finger in the direction of the tower, its reflective metal tip barely visible among a grove of trees. For a moment, Watterson seemed unwilling to answer, until finally he shrugged and muttered, I can't recall. Reggie found the answer odd, especially given the fact that Watterson had made no effort to look in the direction of the tower. Reggie also noted that the old man was trembling slightly, his hands balled into tight fists. It was almost as though, Reggie thought, that he was afraid to look, afraid of what he knew he would see if he did. Without saying another word, Watterson slowly swung the door shut as his pale, impassive face disappeared back into the darkness. Vaguely disturbed by the encounter, Reggie returned to his house, keeping a suspicious eye on the tower as he walked. When he got back inside, Reggie sat down with his now lukewarm cup of coffee and turned on the radio. He was frustrated to find static on all the local stations. After finding no avail and wiggling the antenna and smacking the old radio a few times, he rose to rinse his mug out in the sink. Something stopped him halfway across the kitchen, though. It was a voice, faint and monotone, drifting through the static on the radio. He returned to the table and pressed his ear against the speaker. The broken message had to repeat a few times before he could piece it together, and still the patchwork of words made almost no sense to him. Everything must end for anything to begin, the message said repeating in a loop between brief pauses. Reggie gazed vacantly at the gritty, worn surface of his kitchen table, the hair on his arms bristling, his body held inexplicably in place. Everything must end for anything to begin. When the message had repeated a few more times, his paralysis seemed to break, and he reached over and turned the radio off. A shudder ran down his spine as he got to his feet and put on his shoes, trying desperately to forget the words as he tied them. Outside, with fresh air in his lungs and scattered clouds floating gracefully above him, his pulse began to slow, and he was able, if only for a moment, to feel like there was still a chance of leaving the events of the morning behind and having a somewhat normal day. As he walked around the perimeter of his property, listening to the sporadic clucking of the chickens and taking in the smell of the lavender that was beginning to sprout in his garden, Reggie was able to feel some semblance of peace. Life was quiet in the small Montana town where he'd spent his whole life, and despite the fact that in his youth the quiet had frustrated him, made him feel like a nobody, a hick living in a despicable one-horse town, he was grateful for the quiet then. It was resolute, calming, 
things he felt like he was much in need of. His eyes rose in the direction of Billings. He could make out the ranch on the other side of his property, where a quiet, retired couple, the Schraders, spent their summers. Oddly, though, with it still being early spring, Reggie could see that the property was occupied. Perhaps they'd come early this year, Reggie thought. And given the fact that the winter hadn't been a particularly harsh one, the idea didn't seem so far-fetched. But his solace and resolve began to crumble when he saw a figure emerge from behind the house, walk a few paces, and then disappear again behind the barn. It wasn't the figure's mere presence that disheartened him. No, it was the fact that whoever it was appeared to be entirely red from head to toe, as if they'd been doused in bright red paint. Or worse, he thought, his knees beginning to quiver below him. Blood. When the figure failed to reemerge from behind the barn, Reggie began his long walk back to the house, his pace quickening as he did. He thought briefly about heading over to the Schrader house, but after his interaction with Ben Watterson that morning, he was in no mood for awkward exchanges with his neighbors. Or, at least, that's what he told himself. As he opened his back door and stepped inside, stealing one last look back at the mysterious antenna that now christened his yard, Reggie found himself wishing he had a project, a task to occupy his restless mind. Retirement hadn't exactly been treating him well, and he couldn't help but think that if he were busy with something, he'd have no time for the kind of eerie nonsense that had been distracting him all morning, making him feel agitated in his own home. With a sigh, he slumped down on the couch and turned on the TV. The quiet drone of the news dampened his thoughts. And while he typically didn't care for the divisive, sensationalist stories that ran on the national networks, he would have accepted just about anything in exchange for the unnerving images his mind was conjuring. There was something about the crimson sheen of the figure he'd seen on his neighbor's property something that drilled right down into his psyche and imbued it with an immediate sense of dread. And what was he to make of the antenna, or the bizarre message he'd heard coming from his radio? It all left him feeling powerless, vulnerable, imparting him with a nagging sensation that loomed like a bad taste he couldn't choke down. Just then, his phone began to ring, jolting him out of his contemplations. He rose, and with slow, staggering steps, approached the handset and pulled it from its cradle. Hello? His voice was reticent, barely there, and far more lugubrious than he had anticipated it to sound. The line was silent for a moment, and then a deep humming sound began to come through. Who's there? he demanded, his voice taking on a more impatient, authoritative tone. He heard a few clicks, and then faint words began to come through. Just as had happened with the radio, he realized, it was a broken message, being repeated in loops. He held the handset tight against his ear, straining to hear the message. A memory is just a lie, told in reverse, he finally deciphered, and having heard it, promptly slammed the phone back down into the cradle. Fed up with the nonsense, with whoever was pulling this absurd prank on him, Reggie pulled the phone off the counter and yanked the cord out of the wall. On his way out the door, 
he snatched up the radio as well. With both devices unplugged, he staggered outside, lifted the cellar door, and tossed them into the darkness below. In the brief moment before he let the door slam shut, he almost thought he could hear something coming up from the darkness. That same disjointed voice, accented by radio static, repeating its message to all who could hear. But no, he thought, that's impossible. You can't speak through an unplugged phone. Transmissions can't come through an unplugged radio. And yet, as much as he knew those statements to be true, some bit of doubt lingered in him. Some quiet conviction that the noise he thought he'd heard echoing up from the cellar was exactly what he'd feared it was. Back inside, he planted himself before the TV, but he soon decided that the TV alone wasn't enough to calm his nerves. So despite the early hour, he rose, thudded to the kitchen, and poured himself two fingers of scotch. When he relaxed back into the sofa, feeling the gentle burn of the scotch in his gut, the world at last felt okay again. And as one sip turned into two, and three into four, he began to feel almost as though he could laugh at the events of the day, at the absurdity of it and his own manic response. He hefted the heavy glass tumbler in his hand, feeling the weight of it and watching the alcohol slosh around inside it. This is real, he thought, looking at the glass. His other hand ran over the smooth surface of the sofa cushion. This is real. That shit you thought you saw today, that shit you thought you heard, none of that was real. What's real is this, here and now. His resolve was broken, however, when the program he was watching, a news story about oil drilling at a local heritage site, was interrupted. A blanket of static overtook the screen, and Reggie thought, at least for a moment, that he could see a vague shape shifting in the fuzzy, black-and-white storm that had taken over his TV. Surely it was nothing more than a mixed signal, he told himself, sighing more with frustration than with fear. And if he had seen something, some kind of vague, abstract figure looming in the static on his TV, it could be chalked up to nothing more than the same phenomena that caused you to see faces in the clouds when you looked at the sky. What was that called, he wondered? That's right, pareidolia. That's all it was. Like seeing a face in a cloud. But when the figure in the static drew nearer, as if it were walking right up to the other side of the screen, he felt less sure of his assessment. The figure assembled what appeared to be a face in the static, its gaunt features seeming to melt and ripple before him. And on the inside of its wide, gaping mouth was a pit of darkness, blacker than the coldest, emptiest night sky he had ever seen. When the figure began to speak, Reggie wasn't surprised, only paralyzed with fear shrinking back from the TV as if he expected the apparition to reach right through the screen and snatch him out of his living room. Unlike the other messages he'd received, though, this one didn't have to repeat for him to hear what it said. The words that came through were haunting and distorted, yet somehow incredibly clear, as if they were being spoken directly into his head. You will only find refuge in self-destruction. 
the thing on the TV said. Without a moment's hesitation, Reggie lifted the glass in his hand and threw it at the TV with all the force he could muster. He exerted a cry of anguish, watching the menacing figure disappear as the shattered screen returned to darkness. Reggie had never felt so close to insanity, and with reckless, paranoid thoughts stewing in his head, he marched back over to the counter for the remainder of the scotch. When the bottle was empty, he decided he wasn't nearly as drunk as he needed to be, and despite the erratic, swerving pattern of his footsteps, he made his way outside and climbed into his truck. He struggled to keep his old Dodge Ram on the narrow dirt road that led to the liquor store, squinting through bloodshot eyes as he drove. When he pulled into the liquor store's gravel parking lot, he paused for a moment before getting out of his truck. His jaw clamped tight, his hands trembling. He gaped at the gleaming silver radio antenna that towered above the store's tin roof. Had it been there before? he asked himself. But he already knew the answer. He'd been to Daisy's liquor store three times that week alone, often coming by for no other reason than to make small talk with the store's becoming proprietor. If there had been a massive antenna protruding from the roof, he surely would have known. Tottering on unsteady legs, Reggie stepped out of his truck and hobbled towards the door. Before he stepped inside, he took one last look up at the antenna, which seemed, in some strange way, to be gazing down at him from where it stood atop the liquor store roof. When he got inside, he hoped his fears would be quelled by Daisy telling him that the antenna was nothing more than a new installation to accommodate their satellite TV, or that it was part of their new weather tracking system. But, to his awe-stricken terror, Reggie found that the antenna was not merely situated atop the building's roof, but integrated into its very foundation. The antenna descended all the way down from the ceiling to the ground, where it stood in the middle of a beer aisle. At its base, it merged seamlessly with the tile floor, as if the building itself had been constructed around it. Reggie stared at the structure, perplexed. When Daisy spoke up from behind the counter, it startled him. Can I help you, Reggie? she asked. But still, his baffled gaze didn't deviate from the antenna. And when the cashier failed to offer an explanation for the bizarre structure that stood in the middle of her store, his confusion was compounded. But confusion turned to terror when he faced Daisy, and it became clear to him that she was utterly oblivious to the structure. She didn't even acknowledge it. Her cool, concerned eyes were fixed solely on him. What the... what the hell is this? he asked, gesturing towards the antenna. Daisy craned her neck, a sullen frown coming over her features. What the hell is what? she asked. The antenna, he thought. The giant fucking antenna that's standing in the middle of the beer aisle and sticking up through the roof of your store. But when he tried to vocalize the frantic statement, the words wouldn't come. Because he already knew the answer. There was no antenna in the middle of Daisy's liquor store. Just like there wasn't one in his backyard. Reggie Pastor was losing his mind. He was going insane, hallucinating. Something had snapped inside his mind and as far as he could tell, there was no going back from it. I'm sorry, never mind, he said, sweat pouring from his brow. He lifted a bottle of scotch from the shelf and walked it over to the counter. Daisy gazed at him suspiciously as he pulled out his wallet. Her expression betrayed a look of sincere concern, 
but Reggie was far too frightened and humiliated to make eye contact with her. He paid for his bottle, and when she offered him his change, he told her to keep it. When he arrived back home, he was exhausted. He was tired not only from the booze, but from the manic state he'd been in all day. Spending hours in a state of petrified agitation had its way of wearing you out, and Reggie was beginning to realize that. Before he could rest, though, truly rest, he had to do one last thing. He made his rounds of the house, gathering up anything that he owned that had an electronic speaker in it. His cell phone, his computer, even an old two-way radio that he'd stashed in his bedroom closet. He piled it all up and tossed it into the cellar with the phone and the radio. Cumbersome technological junk, he thought to himself as he watched it tumble into the darkness. When he got back inside, he reached for a tumbler to pour himself another glass of scotch. But then he said fuck it and decided to drink straight from the bottle instead. He smiled grimly, taking refuge in the dull burn of the booze. It cast waves of solace over his body, allowing him to feel, in some abstract way, like he had taken control of the situation. Like he had emerged victorious over the voices and the hallucinations and the general insanity of the day. But as he trudged to his bedroom, his tired eyes squinting in the darkness, something stopped him mid-stride. There was chatter coming from somewhere above him. His eyes rose to see the dim shape of the smoke alarm protruding from the ceiling. It sat quiet for a moment, and then chatter returned, growing louder until he could make out words in the rattling noise. In an odd, inhuman cadence, it spoke to him. The transformation will begin when the world turns red, the voice inside the smoke alarm said. In a fit of rage, he swung the bottle of scotch up over his head in a wide arc. The butt of the bottle caught the smoke alarm at the peak of its swing, knocking it off the ceiling with a satisfying clap. It tumbled across the room and then came to rest on the floor, where it continued to emit its message. The transformation will begin when the world turns red. Seething with anger, Reggie snatched it up off the ground, stomped over to the back door and threw it out into the night, its white shape disappearing as it sailed into the darkness. He didn't wait long enough to hear it hit the ground, though he would have been satisfied at the sound of it smashing into pieces against the hard earth. He slammed the door, threw the deadbolt, and returned to his room. As he lay in bed, now sufficiently drunk, drunker than he'd been in as long as he could remember, he lit a cigarette. He knew it was a bad idea, especially with the smoke detector gone, but he couldn't bring himself to step outside, couldn't stand the idea of hearing that crackling voice from the smoke detector, or the whispers rising up from the cellar. And aside from the voices, he felt a growing conviction that something was out there, hiding in that darkness, something inexplicably evil. He gazed out his bedroom window and thought about the red-skinned figure he'd seen on the Schrader's property earlier that day. The memory made him shiver. After a few drags of his cigarette, his head was spinning, the room undulating around him. He lowered his head to his pillow, thinking perhaps it wouldn't hurt to just rest for a moment, to just wait out the spins and the wave of nausea that was crashing over him. Within a few seconds, he was passed out. 
His fingers relaxed, and the cigarette fell onto a pile of laundry next to his bed. When Reggie jolted awake, coughing through the smoke, flames lapping at his fingertips, he tried to scream, but all that would come out was a staggered, frantic cough. He rolled out of bed, singeing his arm hair. He still had a clear line at the door, but just barely. Within a few seconds, the flames would devour his escape route, and then he would be done for. Without thinking, he lunged across the room, his shirt pulled up over his mouth to filter the smoke. Luckily, the fire had only been contained to his bedroom, and if he acted fast, he knew he could still stop it before he lost the whole house. Surprisingly light on his feet for how drunk he still was, Reggie grabbed the fire extinguisher from the hallway closet and returned to his bedroom to douse the flames. As he breached the doorway, though, he realized that the flames had nearly consumed the entire room. They were crawling up the walls, drawing a swath of black smoke across the ceiling. The crackling roar of the blaze caused him to shrink back in fear. Rather than fleeing, though, he emptied the fire extinguisher into the inferno, swinging it wildly from wall to wall. When the canister was spent, all he had managed to do was slow the destruction. Sprinting through the smoke, he ran out the back door and unraveled the garden hose. He popped his bedroom screen out and turned the spigot on full bore, unloading a brilliant stream of water into the house. For a few minutes, it seemed like the fire was going to win out over his efforts to stop it. But eventually, he was able to reduce the raging inferno to a pile of smoldering ashes. As the smoke began to clear, he went back inside to survey the damage. His bedroom would have to be rebuilt, and all the furniture in it replaced. But thankfully, there wasn't any significant structural damage to the rest of the house. He cursed his own drunken stupidity for having started the blaze, but was also grateful to have survived it unscathed. He was wiping the ashes from his arms, still panting from the effort, when he heard it. The same voice that had come from the smoke detector only an hour before. Only now... It was all around him. No, he thought. No, make it stop! But it wouldn't stop. It just kept repeating its message in its jarring, disjointed voice. The transformation will begin when the world turns red. When he began walking towards the kitchen, he was only partially aware of what he was doing. A desperate kind of rage had taken over him as the voice continued to repeat its message, growing louder with each repetition. He stood over the kitchen counter, gazing down at the utensils. Tears began to accumulate in the corners of his eyes when he realized what he was about to do. He wasn't even sure it would work, but at this point he was willing to try anything. Anything to make the voices stop. When he was a child, his father had once told him that when the crew of a submarine was doomed, when the vessel had sunk or capsized and there was no chance of rescue, one of the crewmen would stand near the hatch with a long, sharp lance in each hand. Before they abandoned the sub, he would go to each member of the crew, sliding the lances into each ear, piercing the eardrums. This, he was told, would allow them to equalize the deep-sea pressure so they could swim to the surface. Of course, it would leave them deaf, but at least they would be alive. He didn't know if the story was true, but that didn't matter much to him. 
He wasn't trying to swim his way to the surface of the ocean. He was only trying to keep the voices out of his head. With the metal rotisserie skewer grasped in each hand, he closed his eyes. He brought the razor-sharp tips to the openings of his ears and held them there for a moment. And then he emitted a brief, primal scream and jabbed them in. There was an audible pop, and then the sound of his terrified cry was replaced with a steady, high-pitched ring. He loomed in the eerie sound for a moment, and then a disturbing smile fell across his cheeks when he realized that the voice was gone. If he had been able to hear in that moment, he would have noticed a series of firm knocks on his door. But he couldn't, so he just went on smiling and staring at the charred remnants of his bedroom. The knock had come from a company of firemen gathered at the front door. When they didn't hear a response, they walked around to the back of the house. They had received a call about a house fire twelve minutes before, and while the fire appeared to have gone out, they still had to make sure anyone inside was unharmed. A few yards from the back door, one of the firemen, a man named Casey Luskin, noticed a smoke alarm laying on the ground in pieces. He shot a concerned glance to the other members of his company, and then he gave the word to break the door down. Inside, they found Reggie. He was in the hallway outside his bedroom, an alarmingly bemused smile on his face. Casey asked him if he was okay, but got no response. And then he noticed the steady trickle of blood coming from the man's ears. After getting Reggie some first aid, Casey pulled out a piece of paper and wrote the word, Hospital? He held it out, and Reggie shrugged. Reggie was too exhausted at this point to put up a fight. All he wanted to do was go to bed, and since his mattress had been reduced to a pile of ashes, he figured the hospital was as good a place as any to sleep. When Reggie awoke the next morning, a hangover throbbed in his brow, and his ruptured eardrums were searing with pain, as if the rotisserie skewers were still lodged deep inside them. The ringing had ceased, but he was still unable to hear. A petite nurse with curly red hair and deep green eyes stood over his bed as she delicately changed his IV bag. When he had come in the night before, he had been severely dehydrated, so the doctor on duty had ordered an IV drip. Later, Reggie would learn that the damage to his eardrums was expected to heal, and there was a good chance he would regain his hearing. But because of the open wounds, he was at risk of infection, so he would have to take antibiotics until they healed. Though, as the doctor explained to him, there were still a lot of questions about what had led to the injury and the fire at his house, and therefore recommended that he underwent a mental health assessment, just to make sure that if there was an underlying issue, it was addressed before something more serious occurred. Reggie didn't fight the process. He didn't make any claims about hearing voices or seeing red-skinned creatures. The gravity of the situation had dawned on him and he was more than willing to believe that the doctor had his best interests in mind. For the remainder of the day, he fell in and out of sleep, watching the dark red sun descend lazily through the afternoon sky. At just after 4 p.m., he grumbled awake. He had a distinct feeling that he had just been dreaming, but he couldn't remember about what. Finally feeling good enough to stand, he rose from his bed and wheeled his IV over to the window. It was full dark outside, a thin veneer of clouds blotting out the stars. 
In front of the hospital, there were a few benches set across a wide, sprawling lawn. A line of oak trees ran the length of the parking lot, and on the road into town, all was quiet and still. He relished in the tranquility of the night, feeling hopeful in an abstract way. He knew that the events of the previous day were not things he could simply forget about and walk away from, and perhaps healing whatever had caused his insanity would be a long and difficult road. But at least there was a road, he told himself, gazing at the two-lane highway that led to town. At least there was a chance for a fresh start at the end of all this. As he gazed out the window, watching the soft light fall from the street lamps, something caught his eye. It was a subtle movement in the parking lot. He couldn't understand what he was seeing at first, but then he realized that a sewer grate was inching its way off the drain that it covered. It was as if an invisible hand was pulling the large metal grate free. Then it became clear to him that it wasn't being pulled free. It was being pushed free by something underneath. Something in the sewer. What in the hell? He whispered to himself. And then he saw it. Just a hand at first, and then another. Both a ghastly crimson color. He watched, paralyzed, his face pressed against the glass, as a blood-red figure pulled itself up out of the sewer. It was naked and hairless, its arms and legs long and spindly. Its fingers were needle-like, its eyes black pits. When it had stepped out of the drain, it stood for a moment, seeming to smell the air. And then it turned, making slow, punctuated movements, until it faced him. Its bald head glistened in the streetlights, and its wide mouth was fashioned in a heinous grin. The moment Reggie realized it was looking at him, staring him down with its abysmal black eyes, he shrunk back from the window, clamoring in the darkness of the room. From the corner of the window, he could just see the outline of the creature as it turned and stalked off into the darkness. Trembling, and with a cold sweat accumulating on his pale face, Reggie wheeled his IV out into the hallway. He didn't know what he was going to say to the nurse, but he knew he had to tell her something. Surely there was a pill they could give him, something to calm him down and return him to his peaceful slumber. But the nurse wasn't in the hallway, and neither was the doctor for that matter. He walked over to the reception desk and found it equally barren. Doubling back, he scanned the hallways, poking his head in each room, but neither staff nor patients were to be found anywhere. His pulse quickening, he took the elevator to the second floor, and then the third. The hospital was deserted. With a stiff shot of adrenaline coursing through his veins, he returned to his room, slid the IV out of his arm, and changed back into his clothes. They still stunk of booze and smoke, which caused him to gag momentarily, but he gathered himself and headed to the staff break room. He dug through the lockers until he found a set of car keys that evidently belonged to a Volvo. Grasping them tight in his sweaty palm, he walked frantically to the waiting room. The eerie space was full of empty chairs, and it sent a chill down his spine. His arm hairs prickled as he stared through the wide glass doors at the front of the hospital, eyes scanning the parking lot, looking for movement. After thirty seconds, when nothing had moved, he flung the doors open and ran through them, 
His thumb jabbed incessantly at the unlock button on the car keys, until eventually a green Volvo station wagon three rows back flashed its lights and honked its horn. It wasn't until he was inside the car with the doors locked and the engine started that he allowed himself to breathe a sigh of relief. White knuckles gripped the wheel as he drove with a heavy foot. He didn't have a long way to go, maybe a few miles back to his house, but the block seemed to spread out before him, every street corner concealing some hidden terror, some harbinger of apocalyptic insanity. But as he made his way towards his home on the outskirts of town, nothing moved. There were no cars on the road, no people walking to work. Haskins had never been a busy city, but even at that hour there should have been some movement, some sign of life. It was as if everyone had been evacuated. Or exterminated, he thought, shivering at the idea. When he pulled into his driveway, the Volvo fishtailing as it sought traction in the gravel, his eyes darted across the property, but like the rest of town it lay quiet. He ran inside, grabbed the keys to his truck, a crowbar, and his gun, a Sig Sauer 380. On his way back out, he thought of taking some food and water with him as well. But something told him he had no time. He needed to be gone. Now. Once he got out of town, he could worry about provisions. As he watched Haskins disappear in his rearview mirror, he wondered how long it would be before he could return home. He hoped it would be soon, but somehow he knew even then that things would never be the same again. His hometown wasn't his anymore. It was something else now. Barreling down the highway, he watched as dawn began to break. But something about the light of the rising sun caused him to lift his foot off the gas and step firmly on the brake. His truck screeched to a stop. The horizon wasn't its usual brilliant yellow, shining below a band of violet blue. It was instead a dark red ribbon, spanning across the terrain for as far as he could see. It was like a wall of crimson mist, or a storm that was raining blood. And with each second, it grew, inching steadily across the sky towards him. As he looked at it, he knew that what he was seeing wasn't the rising of the sun, but the very edge of the world. The horizon burned scarlet red, and beyond it lay nothing. Waves of static and chatter began to come through the radio. His eyes drifted to the pistol laying on the seat next to him. He reached out a trembling hand and shut off the engine. Hello, dear stranger. I'd like to introduce you to something new. Or perhaps something very, very old. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine is a horror fantasy medical mystery. Following the titular monk turned traveling medical investigator. Follow Radolf as he navigates a nightmare world in which viruses are gods and the human race are not their favored children. Steeped in history and an aesthetic that can only be described as a combination of occult academia and laboratory Judaica, the heresies of Radolf Burntwine have been described as Umberto Eco meets H.P. Lovecraft. For more information, check out the Patreon at thorb.info. But take care, dear stranger, for some truths are best left unknown.